0: One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris.
1: And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. Couldn't be more excited to uh, speak with everybody again. This Friday afternoon, I'm coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, We've been here in Memphis uh, working with clients over the past week. Uh, And uh, next week, of course, we're getting uh, prepared for the International Maxwell Certification. So we'll be in Orlando uh, in doing this show live from Orlando uh, at the Maxwell Certification as we kick that off next Friday uh, and be in Orlando through the following Thursday. So all of my IMC fans... And Maxwellites and John Maxwell team members, I look forward to seeing you guys in Orlando. Uh, But today, I just want to jump right into the show. And as a matter of fact, I was just looking at show numbers. And this is the the second highest rated show uh, this person generated. Um, But we only did the show in September. And so to describe how the numbers work, obviously, there's a cumulative download effect. So we've been doing the show a little over two years And uh, we started the the show December of 2015. So as people download the show and subscribe to the podcast and, you know, catch on to the show, obviously older shows have the opportunity to to have better numbers, right? It just depends on when we drop the show. This gentleman appeared in September of 2017 uh, with us. So just just a few months ago, and has already rocked it up to the second most listened to show that we've ever done on the work-life balance. So we had to have him back. Uh, and and couldn't be more excited to have him back. Just to reintroduce him to to the audience, he's the principal and lead learner at uh, a pre-K-5 school in Texas and is an award-winning author for his work in co-authoring Kids Deserve It and Flipping 2.0, which is Practical Strategies for Flipping Your Class. And then he now has a brand-new release, which he teased for us on that last episode, called Stories from Web. He's also published a children's book called Spruce and Lucy. He's been recognized by the National School Board Association as one of the 20 to watch in education. He's also recognized by the Center for Digital Education as one of their top 40 innovators in education, by the BAMIs as the National Elementary Principal of the Year and National Elementary Teacher of the Year, and by the Texas Computer Education Association as their Texas Elementary Teacher of the Year, and Finally, by the White House as a connected educator and champion of change. And I've, I've talked in reference to the show many, many times. And, and I think the quote that I, w- I left with the last time that we talked in September is if we had more educators like this gentleman, then, then we would just be fine. Our kids would absolutely be fine. So let me welcome back Todd Nestlini to the show. Todd, how you doing, sir?
2: I am doing good, man. That that intro. Thanks for having me back. I, we had such a blast last time. I was super pumped to be asked back again. Absolutely,
1: we are we're, we're blessed to have you. I mean, you're blowing up TEDx stages everywhere, and you know we've got this little <laughs> podcast we're doing. So we're the ones that are honored to have you. And you feel free to take that recording of that that uh, that lead in, and you could just have it, man. That's,
3: that's our gift to <laughs> oh, you for coming
1: back, right? <laughs> So listen, let's, let's dive right in, right? Because Stories from Web, you were teasing us with that a little bit, but now it's released. Mm-hmm. I, I see, you know, all the reviews coming in on Amazon are just stellar. Uh, hopefully sales have been just as stellar for you. Talk to us a little bit of how the book's doing.
2: Well, you know, the book has been such an exciting thing, Um, and it it was fun putting it together. So for those who don't know, Stories from Webb is my second book officially, Um, and it is a book that I wrote completely with my staff over at Webb Elementary in Navasota, Texas. And when I finished Kids Deserve It, I said I would never write again ended up getting the idea from Stories from Web, talking to some teachers at my school one day and just hearing how brilliant they were. And then a phrase came to my mind that I remember someone telling me, and that was, when you're given a platform, it's important that you amplify the voices of others more than you amplify your own. And so that's always been the back of my mind. And when I thought about the next book, I thought, why don't I write a book with my staff? Because, you know, when you work at a school, the joke always is, oh, we should write a book about all the stuff that happens and all the things that go on. And when I thought of the idea, I was like, but nobody ever has. And so I brought the idea to my team. They loved it. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'll have some teachers and staff members who will be willing to write. And 51, 52 stories later, um, from the nurse to the secretary to the music teacher to the instructional aides, to the classroom teachers, um, it was such a, a special book, a, a true labor of love. And the whole process I got to involve my staff in, none of them had been published before and just to bring them in. And and the fun thing about the book for me though, was that I didn't let anybody on the staff read the entire book until it came out. I only let them read their chapter as their chapter was being edited because I wanted it to be a special surprise for them too. And so I hired a professional photographer who came out and took professional headshots of all of them for the book and took a really nice photo of all of us for the back cover of the book. and I made all these little special infographics and memes of all the teachers with their a quote from their story, and I've been sharing those out as promo material. Um, but we got our books about a week or so before the public did. and it was a really powerful moment watching those teachers hold that in their hand for the first time it makes me emotionally even now talking about it. just to see that you know so many educators, are working tirelessly in their classrooms with no recognition at all. And for one book, one piece of literature, just to get to let them tell a piece of their story and know the world is going to read it, it was, it was powerful. And, you know, one thing I didn't expect from the book release was just how much it would bring my team together. Because after they started reading the book, they came to me and they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know so-and-so had to do with this. I didn't know so-and-so dealt with this in their life. Because the stories from web book is more than just an education book. Yeah, about 50% of it deals with kids and instructional ideas, but the other half is just life stuff. Like we have a chapter called It's Okay to Grieve that just deals with how do you work through pain in your life? How do you deal with that sorrow and, and know that you can move forward in life? And we have a chapter about faith and the role that faith plays in some of our lives. And just all over the place kind of things. And one of my favorite stories after the book um, was given to my staff was one of my teachers in the book, she shared a story about suffering several miscarriages and how it was just really difficult on her and made her question a lot of things, um, but led to her having two daughters today. And when I was talking to her after the book, after the staff had it for a day or two, she said, Todd, the most amazing thing happened. And I said, what? She said, one of the staff members came up to me and she said, and we just sat and cried together. Because she looked at me and she said, I just wanted to come by and tell you thank you for telling that story because you made me feel like I'm not alone and I'm not the only one that went through that. And wow. just to know that moments like that are coming out of these stories, um, I'm just I'm so excited to get this in the hands of others outside of our school family just to see the power that these stories will hopefully have in affecting other people's lives as well.
1: And what a choice. You know,
2: listen, we, I just
1: published a book with... with- Eleven other authors, and so to mm-hmm. get twelve people to collaborate on a book, I know what that took
2: <laughs> to get
1: twelve people to collaborate on a business book. To get fifty-two people, the amount of work that you had to put in, I, I applaud the effort for sure. Um, well, when it was, you say it's it definitely a true labor interesting, of love,
2: yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting putting all that together because you know I wrote every single chapter in the book, but every single chapter has little inserts from the staff. And so people all like to ask me now, like, how'd you get them to know what to write and where to go? And the first thing I did was I just told them, I said, if you have a story that you want to tell, send it to me. I will find a way to fit it in or I'll write a chapter around that story. And then after I got those, then I went and I said, here are some chapters that I've written that I don't have a story for yet. If you think you can come up with something to fit in here, send that to me. And then the third group of people I went to is I had to go to some of the staff and go, you are brilliant in this. I need a story about this because, you know, teachers are the worst at at, at, at doubting themselves and feeling like they don't have a voice and and and, and, and what they think isn't as good as what other people are doing because especially since the rise of social media, you see so many amazing educators' works online or on Pinterest and you feel like your stuff is crap in comparison. And so I really got to work with a lot of my team, too, of empowering them and saying, no, you've got something great to tell. And that's kind of the whole point of the book. That's what we want people to take away from this book is when they finish the book, we want them to feel like their story matters too and now they can go out there and tell theirs. And that,
1: I mean, the whole Your Story Matters, I'm bringing back that if if the audience has not gone on to YouTube and seen your TEDx talk, but <laughs> if you haven't, you need to go to YouTube, you need to search Todd Nestlini and his TEDx talk, and, and I'll tell you, in you probably don't know this is even coming, you and I haven't even had a chance to talk as, as a pre-show for this one. Um, the way that you challenge men to be involved in schools. At that time, I was coaching, you know, youth league football, and I would volunteer for JA every once in a while, right, for junior achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, I have taken that to heart personally and become uh, a – Uber volunteer at the high school level now. Oh, I so love not that. only doing awesome. a junior achievement, um, one of the things that that you know I've been blessed to be able to do is teach DISC profiles and personality profiles. And on Wednesday, led fifty three high school seniors through learning about themselves and how to communicate with each other and what DISC means and all of those types of things, as well as being on the board of several different of the academies now at the high school. And I don't. I honestly don't think I would be that involved if the connection that you and I made in September didn't happen. So I wanted to thank you for that challenge um, because when I saw your TEDx talk, it, it became a call to action for me.
2: Wow, I I, I don't even know what to say. I, 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 that is, means a ton to me because I know that just the work that you've already done is going to be changing those kids' lives, and that, and that's what it's all about for us.
1: And and I couldn't thank you more. If it. it, it and amazingly, it's given me insight more to what the educators go through, which I don't think right. i I don't think anybody will have a full appreciation for unless they see it for themselves
3: and right unless, I completely unless you agree. spend
1: a day going through a classroom trying to teach the same thing to the same kids it, You just absolutely have no understanding of what these incredible educators go through, right, right. So listen, we're going to take our first break right here, and we're going to come back, and I'd love to hear some of your favorite stories, stories from Web. So we're going to take a break, let the commercials play, let them pay us from our sponsors, and we'll be right back here with Todd Nesolini on the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris.
3: In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies
0: at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's one 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to The Work-Life Balance.
1: And welcome back to The Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're visiting with Todd Neslany. He is a multi-time author and, and an incredible educator and, and now a multi-time guest. Of the show here on the work life balance, and as we were going into break, Todd, we were talking about your latest book, Stories from Web. Do you have a? I, I I don't. I hesitate to say favorite quote, so you know, <laughs> we don't want to say it's a favorite quote because you'll read the whole book to us, and we get that, and I understand. Uh, but what is <laughs> one of those quotes that kind of comes to the top of your mind?
2: You know, there's a quote in the book, and and I say this one often when I present to Um, And it's about educators, and it's the fact that I believe an educator's job is 50% academic and 50% emotional. And the moment you put your efforts into more than one or the other, I don't think you're doing your job anymore. And the whole point of that is to tell teachers that the content is extremely important. That's why you were hired to do that job. But the heart of that child is equally as important because it goes back to that phrase that people say all the time of you can't reach their heads until you reach their heart. And so just that 50-50 kind of idea is one of my my favorite quotes from the book for sure.
1: Yeah, what was interesting and a great finding uh, that happened this past Wednesday is I had a couple of teachers in the room as I was leading these seniors through, Um, and in the recognition of the four different communication styles, you could see the realization um, from a couple of the educators of why they weren't reaching certain students. Uh It was, was, and they had started to be like, well, that's just not a good kid, or I just can't reach him or whatever, versus recognizing that there was just a communication gap that they could fill and that they could just learn differently than the way that they were presenting. Um, But to see the impact of that to them, um, because I can see the emotional connection that, that really can form and create as an educator. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that, that touched me in, in what you did, and, and I'm going to take you off topic here for a second, but talk to, to me a little bit about, you know, what you talk in your TEDx um, in in the community project that you do, the cookout.
2: Yeah, you know, I've always thought as an educator, like, all we do as schools is these events at our school, and then we invite people to come into them, and then you hear educators all the time saying, there's not many parents showed up or we don't know what to do to get them involved. And I've always pictured education like mission work. And when you think of missionaries for a church, they don't sit in church and beg you to come in. They go out and serve you. And so as educators, if we really want to reach our kids and our families, we have to go out and serve them and do it where in a way where we don't even have a hidden agenda. Where it's, and so I thought, you know, we've got an apartment complex in our community that a large chunk of my kids come from. And I thought, why don't we go there and serve those families hot dogs, just show up one day, grill for them, and pass it out for free. We're not going to pass out pamphlets. We're not going to tell them to make sure they're doing their homework. We're not going to check it. We're just going to go out and connect and have fun. And, you know, we partner with some of our local businesses here who help fund it all for us. But we go out once a semester minimum, and we just roll a grill out there. We partner with the junior high. They come out, too. And we set up, and each time, we grow hot dogs for about 350 people. And it's a powerful moment. And, you know, I've done it for four years now, and every single time that we do it, somebody comes to the line and says, why are you doing this again? And I love that we get to look at them and say, because we love you. And have that really be the only reason we're there is because we want these families to see that we care about their child more than a butt in a chair or a number on a page. Uh,
1: Wow. Every time you say that, I get chill bumps. I absolutely <laughs> get chill bumps to, to know that, it, it, you know, I see a lot of people that talk that talk, right? But to see an organization leader like you truly being a servant leader, um, right. it, it's amazing to see you walk the walk. And, and no doubt that's why this success has, has come your way, because I believe you're leading with your heart more than anything else. Um, and right. then the success becomes ancillary, right? It's 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 a byproduct because of, of what you were achieving in the first place. And, and not right. only that, but I think... You create so much content, right? I mean, you've got a blog as well. where right? You've got podcasts like Kids Deserve It, Sparks in the Dark. I mean, talk a little bit about those things.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I have a life, um, but I really do. <laughs> I do do stuff outside of education and the educational world. But, yeah, I do have a blog um, that I try to keep updated. Sometimes if I'm in the middle of writing a book, the blog kind of takes the back seat a little bit. Um, but I do have two podcasts. I do a podcast called Kids Deserve It with my uh, co-author, Adam Welcome. And we just interview different educators and people who aren't in education too, just getting to share a little glimpse of their stories. And then I have a newer podcast that I've started with my buddy, Travis Crowder. Um, He is an incredible English teacher in North Carolina, Um, one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life. Um, And we do a podcast called Sparks in the Dark, and it deals with reading and writing books um, all that kind of stuff. We we love advertising stuff that we're reading because we're both voracious readers, um, and we've done a couple episodes. It's been kind of dormant for a few months as we finished um, our book, but um, we are bringing it back this week. So we've, we're going to do a show with some new book recommendations and a show with a a lady named Jennifer Lagarde, who is another brilliant, amazing, hilarious um, educator.
1: But you just you just threw something out there though. You said you just finished the book, so there's another book coming.
2: Yeah, you know, I guess I I was on a roll and couldn't stop. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's amazing. Seven years I was in the classroom and I was a math teacher before I became an administrator. And over the last couple of years as an administrator, I have fallen in love with reading and writing and reading and writing instruction. And I've really been getting to educate myself about it. And that's how I met Travis, um, was through social media. We actually got the book deal and started writing the book before we even met in person. (laughs) Um, But um, we both have really passionate views on the power that lies in finding that book that will change your life. Um, Because both of us believe that there is no such thing as somebody who doesn't like reading. It's just somebody who hasn't found the right book. And so when we were just sharing ideas and and sharing resources, we thought, you know, I think we've got a book idea here where we can really share some great reading and writing instructional practices. But from an elementary perspective, from a secondary perspective, as a whole campus, outside of reading and writing teachers, like we really wanted to cover everybody. And so we spent about eight months together writing that book. We met up a couple times uh, in person to do some writing too. And that one comes out in June and I am so proud of that book. It's different than my other two ones, but I, I can't wait for the world to check that one out. Um, Cause it's got a lot of research in it too. And you know, Travis is one of the most lyrical and, and, visual writers that I've ever read and so the opportunity to write with him was just such an honor on my behalf that he agreed to want to write something with me because he's been a writer that I have truly respected his work for a while and so it's kind of like you're getting to write with one of your education heroes it's kind of like with stories from web Uh, my education hero Kim Bearden wrote the foreword and it was kind of one of those dream people that I never thought would write the foreword for a book and she agreed and it's 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 what social media does, it tears down those walls and gives you some great opportunities to meet and connect with people I would have never thought I could have.
1: I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, March 23rd on this, on this radio show, um, I get to interview the author of the book that changed my professional career. So obviously I had a, a love for reading you know, way back when as well. Uh-huh. Um, and by the way, the book that changed my life as a kid was Where the Red Fern Grows. Oh, I mean, that'd be such good as the Animorphs series, but it's pretty good to me, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, I don't know if you're ever going to beat the Animorphs for me, because that just holds such a special place in my childhood. And the fact <laughs> right. that I got to meet the author of that book this summer, or in November, oh, I
1: cried.
3: Yeah. I felt
2: like an idiot.
1: <laughs> really? Do you meet him? <laughs>
2: Yes, she was at a conference that I was at, and I knew she was going to be there because I tweeted her, and she had actually responded, so I was already fangirling because she responded, but I brought my original number one Animorphs book in hopes that I would get to meet her and have her sign it, and I ended up getting to meet her, and the best part was, as soon as I told her who I was, she was like, oh my gosh, we've been tweeting, and I thought, she knows who I am, so I told her, you know, that book is what got me started in reading. It's what made me believe that I could be a reader. It was my escape from difficult moments, all those Animorph books, and just getting to have that moment where you meet somebody who played such a big role in your childhood without ever realizing they did, it was it was overwhelming for me, um, but it was such a great experience.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, so my book was Where the Red Fern Grows, and then in my professional career, I was actually struggling at one point of being a project manager. I, started to not like the job and that, you know, things just weren't going out. My I had a newborn baby that I wasn't getting to spend time with. And, you know, I just, I, I went into a Barnes and Noble and I was looking in the business section and looking at job titles, thinking of, you know, what career could I switch to? And mm-hmm. there was a book on the shelf called Radical Project Management by Rob Thompson, And I just picked it up and flipped through it, ended up reading the book cover to cover that night. And <laughs> the insight that he provided changed my entire career in how I manage projects, and really wow. became much more successful. Uh, but just like you, I reached out. He ended up writing the foreword in my second book, but we've never met, and we barely <laughs> had a phone conversation, and I get the opportunity to interview him on this show, March 23rd. So same thing, right? But you, Yeah, it's right. amazing. It's one of those like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it moments. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, th- it's going to be the worst interview I've ever conducted. I can promise you that. Uh, just, <laughs> I'm
2: sure, I'm sure. I'm just going
1: to fall all over the guy. That's what I'm going to do.
2: But, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's
1: essentially what it's going to be. Rob, uh, tell us, tell everybody why you're so great. Um, anyway, so back, back to... <laughs> so, uh, but no, that's an amazing story, that the Animorphs story. I was just doing that to tease you, but that's a fantastic story that you got to meet her.
2: Yeah, it was, it was really cool.
1: And so... So you've got Sparks in the Dark now. You've got the podcast. So Sparks in the Dark is coming out June. Um, Stories from Web, when did that release?
2: Stories from Web released January 24th.
1: January 24th. So it's still, I mean, hot off the presses.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, it's still a little baby.
1: That's a, and the reviews that I'm reading on on Amazon are fantastic. And by the way, you can find all these books um, and everything you want to know about Todd on com. So that's dot com. You can find him at, at Tech Ninja Todd on uh, Twitter, but also all of his social media is sitting right there on his website. You can find his books. Mm-hmm. You need to buy his books, read his books, and understand <laughs> why we think he's one of the greatest educators we've ever met um, right here on the show. So we're going to take a break right here. We'll be right back with Todd Nestle on the Work-Life Balance, listening to Rick Morris.
3: and make everything you've got put you out in front.
0: Are you getting the most out of your project management software? Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to The Work-Life Balance.
1: And we're back to this Friday edition of The Work-Life Balance. We're visiting with Todd Neslin. the author of Stories from Web, also Kids Deserve It. In an upcoming book, Sparks in the Dark, is going to be releasing in June. So, Todd, do you have any upcoming speaking engagements, anything that uh, you're going to be promoting soon?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I travel and speak once a month, a minimum. Um, you know, as a, I'm a full-time principal, so I can't be gone from my school too much. And I, and I love being at school, so I hate being away. But I travel about once a month. I just got back from Nashville, Tennessee on Wednesday. So I was near you, I guess, um, yeah. doing the largest keynote I've ever done one of the scariest moments of my entire life, seeing a room that size. Um, but then I've got my second TEDx coming up at the end of this month. I have no idea why I agreed to do a TEDx again when the first time <laughs> was such a terrifying experience for me, but I, I'm excited to kind of do a second
1: one. So you say it's a terrifying experience, it, it, but is it terrifying in just the sense that you're just nervous at going on and then once you get into your flow, you're feeling it or talk to me a little bit about that? <laughs>
2: You know, I, I I get nerves before every presentation. And it's so funny because people will tell me like, oh, well, you're such a good presenter or you're so natural or, God, that's so easy for you. And I'm like, no, it's really not because I feel like I want to throw up before every single presentation, whether I'm doing a session, a keynote, a TEDx, it doesn't matter. I feel like I'm just going to throw up everywhere and then I get together. And, you know, once I get started, I'm okay. Then I can, I can get into my groove. I can start because I'm a storyteller. So I don't have to memorize facts or this other. I just go and tell stories, um, and so once I get in my groove and get started, it's fine. But my my natural personality um, is an introvert, and so I'm actually an extroverted introvert um, by definition. And so I can turn it on, and I can make it look like I'm this amazing outgoing person, and I look like that on stage. And then the moment my presentation's over, I'm like, find me a chair in the back of the room, give me a bottle of water, and let me disappear. <laughs> yeah. and people are like, whoa, yeah, you got to detox, what? yeah. Yeah, and so I'm like, no, I'm I'm not really as crazy as I seem on stage and other things because that's what I I bring out. And, you know, as a principal, I've got to do the same thing. I've got to be this personable, outgoing person because of all who I deal with. And then I go home, and it's like, okay, I just want to turn on Netflix, get on my couch, and then just chill. I don't want to be Mr. Personable anymore. (laughs) And so it's a great thing about social media is I can turn it on and off as I need to online.
1: I think what's funny about that, so I've been speaking for for many, many years now, and uh, I'll tell you, the nerves don't ever go away, um, yeah. but it's actually a good thing, because there have been a couple of times where I wasn't nervous, but those were my worst presentations, uh-huh. right? those nerves, uh-huh. become that fire, that drive was great,
3: but it, what,
1: what you just keyed in, keep me on there, those, when we travel so much, you know, you end up inevitably sitting next to somebody on an airplane, and they go, well, what do you do, Right. I used to say, "Well, I'm a you know professional speaker, radio host," and and then that would just so now I just you know I'm like nothing because I don't want to talk to anybody (laughs) after I just did a a presentation. Like I'm done, it's over. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So uh, (laughs) you just made me laugh on that. I'll tell you though, um, watching your first TEDx and and talking about that, um, watching you talking about your grandmother and and. The battle there, and it you, we almost say it word for word um, because I lost my father to lung cancer at 19, mm-hmm. and that became the drive for my book, No Day But Today, and a lot of the things that I speak about. Watching you say the strongest person in your life battled this horrific disease, um, I say that almost word for word from stage as well. Um Right. Uh, in describing that, and uh, I just, you know, that, that touches me when I watch you go through that and, and hear about what an incredible woman she was.
2: Well, you know, and and I went back and forth about telling that story, too, because I included it in the book, and when I wrote it in the book, it was such a cathartic experience for me, um, but I said, I will never be able to tell this story out loud and get through it, and I'm not a, like, With my presentations, I'm not a practicer. Like, I'll go through once or twice, but I just kind of plan it out in my head. I don't stand in front of a mirror and practice and practice and practice, because then my brain overthinks everything, and then I'm all over the place because my ADHD just goes wild. And so I knew I was going to include her story, and I was just going through my head like, okay, i got to tell this, and i got to tell it without crying, because it's going to be live-streamed and recorded. And so I told the story, I barely got through it, um, and I did it because I knew my grandma would want me to tell her story. And, you know, I, when I did the TEDx last year, I said, that's it. I'm never going to tell this story again publicly. I just, I can't. It's too emotional. It's too personal. And, you know, out of everything I hear from Kids Deserve It, the number one most conversation starter that I have with people is the story about my grandma. And it just reminds me, you know, even going to Stories from Web, the, the importance of not keeping our stories within ourselves, no matter how hard they are to tell. And so I've been kind of going through my head and been contemplating, you know, including the story in some of my keynotes. And I look, and I keep saying, hey, I'm not there yet. I want to tell it, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> and so it's one of those goals of mine is at some point this year to be able to physically tell that story to people face to face Just to show, and the reason I want to share the story is first is to talk about my grandma, but two, just to show that, you know, when you are somebody that shows that you care about a child, it makes a world of difference. And everybody needs that cheerleader in their life who is going to support them and cheer them on. And so many of our kids don't have that. And that's where educators fill that role so often for the kids. And I just think it's so important, people, to remember that you can change a life just by showing someone you care. Well,
1: and I think what's special about the story and how you tell it is, first of all, you, you know, it, it, it takes great humility on the stage, first of all, to do. Um, second of all, it it, it is what people remember, and, and that's what they will connect to then, the message that you're hoping they'll take home. Right in in, in the right. fact that the kids need to be need a cheerleader and, and have that impact, um, but I think I think when you're when you're going through and, and telling it, um, it took me forever to be honest to to speak uh-huh. about my father the way I speak on stage now mm-hmm. with him, um, and it, it just like the nerves it doesn't get easier um, with time. Right. You know the the story flows better, but it doesn't get easier to tell it. Exactly, um, But, um, you know, the people that have that same connection to you, um, it, it, the, there's a moment in which I, I think in the social media world, right, everybody kind of puts out their best face. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and when you're doing that from stage and saying, this is life, but this is how it can be good, even though we share, you know, stuff that's hard. And right. that humility that comes through you on stage when you do that—you're just you're a different storyteller when you're talking about your grandma,
2: Well, That means a lot because <laughs> let me tell you, I, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it through that, and even talking about it now, makes me emotional. Uh, just and it's so funny because it's been so many years ago, but you like you say, you know, the story flows better, but it never gets easier to tell. No, but what a what a
1: beautiful tribute to her. And, you know, I would encourage you to continue to tell the story because it's it's a way to keep how special she really is in, in the hearts and minds of everybody else. Because, right, you know, as I think of you, I think of her as well. Right. And I think right. that's the, the greatest tribute you can give to her
2: as well. Well, that that's the goal. So thanks for saying that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, so let's liven it up a little bit since I took you down.
2: that
1: path. <laughs> uh, tell us a joke or something <laughs> let's let's talk uh, about you know social media and you know you and I got on the subject of millennials and, and preparing the kids and that kind of stuff in our last uh time that we were together. Um, one of the things that you know people contract me all the time to talk about you know how do you motivate millennials and all this stuff and I, I, you know, my answer always: is you don't motivate a generation; you motivate people, you motivate individuals. Right. But um, at the same time, I think this whole social media thing—we're robbing a generation of an opportunity to be awkward. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like going up and asking somebody for a date and getting turned down, going up and and you know trying to have hard conversations now. that don't go well. Right. 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 Talk to me about your feelings around that.
2: You know, I'm kind of torn on that because I see what you're saying and I understand kind of how that changes things. But, I mean, I think if that's going to be part of the conversation, then I also have to think about myself and go, okay, but let's look at the progression in our generation's period because that's just like before the invention of the telephone and being able to have those conversations only face-to-face. You had to travel hours to go see somebody. But then with the invention of the telephone, you were able to reach people from far away through your voice. Um, And then, you know, I I think it's different for sure. Um, And I think, you know, in some ways we might be robbing them, like you said, of the opportunity to make some of those awkward moments in life. But I think this has created new awkward moments because one thing that I think social media has done is it's given a voice to people who have never had a voice before. Um, and I think it's, it's allowed kids to connect in ways they've never connected um, and to find people who understand and value them when they may be in communities that don't. And I also think that it, it's provided new ways <laughs> to, to screw up and to learn from your mistakes. And, and yeah, now with the invention of all the technology that's there, sometimes your mistakes are very public and they're very hard to erase but it's a new era that we're living in. And so it's, it's figuring out the new ways to live in that era.
1: I, the the greatest insightful thing that that I've not yet made the connection to, I love the telephone comment.
3: I mm-hmm.
1: absolutely love the telephone comment in contrast to, you know, that's just, you're right. We People you also used to take people, I'm not sure who the comedian is. I'm not stealing their joke, but, said so that, you know, it used to take, what, weeks to, to go from New York to California. Like, it would be a different family that would arrive. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. People
1: would die off and new families with members would be born. It'd be like a whole different group of people that would get there. And I you always know, talk about hours. that in
2: my, yeah, I always talk about that in my keynotes, too. Of, you know, when I was in the classroom trying to do innovative things, I'd get so much pushback from parents who would say things like, you know, a chalkboard worked good enough for me. Why isn't it good enough for you? Or, look, I didn't have to learn it that way, and I turned out just fine. And my comment has always been, yeah, you turned out just fine, but you turned out just fine in a different generation than we're living in now. And that's just like saying, well, when you were growing up, dial-up was just fine. You had no problems (laughs) with it. But now I dare you to go back to dial-up and try to do something. It'll drive you insane. And so we can't use that experience of, well, for me, this is how I turned out. I turned out great. My kid, all they need to do is the same thing. We're not living in the same world, so it's not a fair comparison to say that because the other example I use is air conditioning. Before air conditioning, nobody was sitting around going, I wish there was air conditioning. But now that we have (laughs) it, we sure don't want to go back and have it taken away.
1: That's for sure. Especially in the South, man. Yeah, so we're gonna take in the
2: South. <laughs> we're
1: going to take our final break here. We'll be right back with Todd nash You're listening to Rick Morris from the Work-Life Balance.
3: In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget
0: You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guests today, we'd love to have you call into the program at one 472 5790 Again, that's one 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance.
1: And we're back on the final segment of the Work-Life Balance with Todd Neslini, And, you know, Todd, I'm sitting here hearing your stories. And, you know, I can only imagine what you have to go through sometimes as an educator. And what's weird for me is, you know, as a parent, as I go to, to, to my children's classroom, I almost have to give them permission to, to do their jobs now, right? I, I go through a whole mm-hmm. list of it's, it's okay to tell my, you know, get on to my kids if they're misbehaving. It's okay to send them to the principal's office. It's a, and, and please let me know when they're not doing their homework and that kind of stuff. You can kind of see them visibly relax, you know, because it doesn't, it, it seems like that's not the norm. Like you, you have to have permission to, to, to do your job
0: now.
2: You know, and that's been something that has changed, especially in the last couple of years. I've watched the shift myself because I think what's happened is you know we've got a good sized group of parents that are just like you who will say you know let me know when they need when you need help let me know what they're struggling with let me know when they're not behaving and I'll deal with it but we've also got another group of parents that have risen up where it's always the child is the victim or the child didn't do anything. It was somebody else. It couldn't have been my baby. And it's, it's, been, it's, it's difficult for educators when that kind of thing happens because then you say, well, well, what leverage do I have? Because in those kind of situations, oftentimes the parent is telling the teacher that in front of the child. So then the child knows, oh, great, mom doesn't think I did it, so I definitely won't get in trouble now. And so it's, it's learning new ways to kind of still work with kids to deal with that, even when sometimes the parent isn't as supportive as you wish they would be.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, and, and you watch some of those parents that just
2: deny, deny, deny,
1: deny, and you know that that's just, that that's hurting that child's opportunity for success in the future. Oh, yeah. Cause at some point, they're going to recognize, you know, there are things you're doing, dude, it's your fault. <laughs>
2: it just, exactly. You're yeah, being an it idiot. definitely sets them up <laughs> to struggle later when they don't think anything is their fault.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: So, you know, we always love to ask
1: uh, this question of all of our guests. So what's some of the greatest advice you've ever been given?
2: You know, I talked about at the top of the show um, what somebody once told me which led to the creation of Stories from Web, and that is if you are ever given a platform and people are listening to you, make sure that you amplify the voices of others louder than you amplify your own. And as I've done... So much research over the last couple of years about the power of diverse characters in literature and building empathy in others and, and amplifying the voices of others. I'm just consistently reminded and, uh, of just that simple idea of if you have a voice and people are listening to it, don't just be the only one talking. Use that platform to let somebody else talk, whether it's those marginalized groups or those people who don't believe in themselves or don't feel like their story is important, use your platform to make sure that they realize that they have a voice and their voice matters too. And by doing that, not only do you empower that person, you also empower others who are watching, who are going, wow, okay, let me, let me, maybe I can say something too, because he's calling on these people to speak and we don't even know who they are. uh, Because the whole idea of like this fame or whatever, even in the education world, when people say, oh, Todd, you're such a big deal, or You have this many followers on Twitter. I'm like, I don't know how that happened because I'm no better than any other educator out there. And I screw up a lot. Like every day, if not every hour, I'm not the perfect principal. I make a lot of mistakes. My school is not the perfect school. We have a lot of things we still want to fix on. But what I do do is I constantly am learning I'm constantly admitting that I know I'm not perfect and I want to be better. And I'm just showing that real side of me and not just using that side that is the fluffy, let me show all the shiny stuff and show how amazing I am. You can go through my blog and see it. There's many blogs where I talk about the amount of doubt that I deal with, um, with just my own skill set and what I'm meant to do and and just the struggles that I face internally. Um, And so I think that it's just that constant reminder of, Don't just share your story, but encourage others to share theirs and give them your platform when you have one.
1: Well, and I think you just said, and thank you for that. That was beautifully said. And you you bring up a great point. As a speaker, um, the humility side of it, as we were referring to in the last segment uh, as well, is the strongest side. And, you know, when I I first started getting going, I was telling just stories of project success and Mm -hmm. looked like a complete egomaniac from stage. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I started saying here is everywhere I failed in how mm-hmm. you can stop, you know, the same mistake that the career actually started going somewhere. And it was right. a, such a valuable lesson that people want to hear more about your failure than they do your success. And it's not because people want to hear that you failed is that they want to know their normal and, and, just, just like you as well.
2: Well, and, you know, and I think that's a perfect point of when I feel like I really connect all this often with my audience because I share myself personally and those failures. And, you know, I've heard some speakers who share some great information. I take good notes. I take back ideas, but I don't have a connection with them at all. And so I never think of their name again, but I may use some of their ideas. And I always hope that when I speak, um, no matter where I speak, that I leave that more than just the ideas, but that connection that I... Um, and I'm just like anybody else. I'm no better just because I'm getting an interview or I've written a book or it doesn't make me better than anybody else. And, and that's constantly something I'm having to tell people because they always want to put you on a pedestal. And, and I, I, I have never thought that I was better than anybody else in my field because every educator out there is doing such hard work and deserves to be celebrated. And so often they don't get to be celebrated.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate your perspective. I, you know, I've said that you're one of the greatest educators I've met. You're saying that you're no better. I can just say <laughs> I wish more people had your heart and humility when they dealt with, with the children in their lives. Oh, thank and, you. and for me, that, uh, so I'm not going to say that's what makes you better, but I am going to say that's <laughs> what makes you great. Thank you. So anything else you'd like to share with the
2: audience before we close? Um, honestly, you know, I, I, just, I just keep thinking about the book that came out, Stories from Web, and, you know, I'm so passionate about what that book can do for people's lives and just opening things up. And, you know, that's been the best feedback we've gotten. It's so funny because as people read the book, they've gone to our website and, like, looked up some of the teachers' emails and emailed them. And that's been such a neat moment for a teacher to come up to me and go, I got an email this weekend from this teacher in Nebraska who read my story and said it meant this, this, and this. And I'm like, see, your words are impacting others. Um, And, you know, and and one of my favorite things from the book is, you know, I talked about Dreaming Big and I couldn't believe Kim Bearden wrote the foreword. Um, One of the endorsers of the book um, is Dev Award winning music artist singer-songwriter Nicole Nordeman. And the last chapter in the book I wrote completely based after a song I heard of hers. And I've loved her since I was a teenager, followed her entire career, have every song memorized. I have all her albums. I've met her in concert twice. I've tweeted her and gotten like one or two responses randomly every now and then. And I thought, I wrote a chapter all about a song. I'm going to reach out to her and see if she'll write an endorsement. No lie. She responded back and said, I'm going to DM you and let's talk about it. So I sent her the book. She loved it, and she said, I am writing an endorsement today. And she wrote That's one, amazing. and it's in the book, and every time I read it, I cry, because I'm like, just like with the book, it's like this artist that i put on a pedestal that their music and lyrics have just played such a big part in my life, because music is so important to me. Um, that, too. And it's just it's just that constant reminder of reach out to anybody. Don't ever be afraid to reach out and connect with someone and and see what they're all about because the worst thing you're going to hear is either a no or absolutely nothing at all So I should never stop you from from reaching out to anybody.
1: That's such great advice. That's fantastic advice. And Todd, listen, we've certainly appreciated having you back a second time. I can't wait to have you back a third.
2: (laughs) I would love to.
1: All right. well let's certainly keep in touch. We're going to keep watching that and certainly when the When uh, sparks in the dark drops in June, we've got to have you back for sure. So keep in touch with us. Let us know. Otherwise, for the rest of the audience, I will be right back here, same time, same channel, next Friday, live from the John Maxwell Certification in Orlando, Florida. Until then, we'll talk to you next Friday. You've been listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.